and welcome to NSTA, The Bus Stop. This is the official podcast of the National School Transportation Association. I'm Kurt Mackison, Executive Director, and here today with Dennis Roche. He's co-founder of Burbio. That's a data collection service. And Dennis has been a frequent guest on NSTA, The Bus Stop. So welcome back, Dennis. Great to be back. So let me just start with this. You know, we've talked about, you know, Burbio and the data collection service you know, all throughout the pandemic. And um, I guess, you know, now that, you know, hopefully the effects of the pandemic um, are waning, um, what have you guys been up to lately? Because, you know, we talked, and we will talk today about, you know, school openings, but what else have you guys been doing? So, yes, we still measure school openings. We'll talk about that in a moment. Things have certainly, in terms of actual disruptions and closures, have slowed dramatically. Um, But one of the things that we've started to do is measure begin to measure school finances and school spending. Essentially, when in, in, in terms of building our data set around school openings and COVID mitigations and things like that, we realized there was a big opportunity to better cover school operations in general. So we do everything from look at school budgets to school ESSER plans in particular, as well as custom projects for clients who want to understand certain types of, of things that schools are doing that affect their business. We work with clients who sell to schools, We work with uh, advocacy groups who are interested in certain types of activities going on in schools. We work with the government. And uh, we also work with companies whose businesses change based on whether school's in session or not, like retailers and consumer packaged goods companies. So school finance. And also the other thing we do is school enrollment. I should be hasten to add that. We uh, We measure school enrollment and we take the information as it's disclosed by the state, which is much faster than what gets disclosed at the federal level. And we've been running various analysis and correlations on that for clients. So essentially, we're we're leaning really hard into this whole idea of being a, a fast turnaround or a company to be able to deliver information that's actionable for clients across a wide variety of industries. Well, that's great. And yeah, thanks thanks for that summary. And you guys have been awfully busy. In, in terms of uh, this school year, 22-23, have you seen districts who've still gone remote or hybrid, you know, still hanging on so, to the effects of the pandemic? It's a tiny, tiny number to the point where, I mean, I, we can talk about them. And there's, there's still, even within the tiny number, there's some interesting cases. One district in, in New Mexico shut a school for a couple of days in August. And it was interesting. It was a throwback shut. It was a throwback uh, disruption. The superintendent said, and this was like something literally said, you know, a year ago, keep in mind, he's writing this, he or she was writing this in August 2022, and he was referring to something in August 2021. He said, a year ago, we said that if 5% of our students tested positive for COVID, we would go remote. And so we had to, because he was, he was catching a lot of uh, unwanted PR from local news sources in New Mexico and politicians saying, why did you go remote? And they went remote because of of a number they had picked out a year earlier. People don't do that anymore. So what what does happen, and we saw it happen twice actually this week, it's, it's October 7th as I sit here, one school in Vermont and one school in North Carolina had to go remote because they were short staff. And both these cases are smaller districts. So these are districts that don't have the backup staff, the depth of staff to cover when there's shortages. So where we're headed is essentially, if you're sick, stay home. Is the philosophy of school districts. There's very little testing going on, uh, proactive testing. 
And then only when they are short-staffed, when they can't physically staff a building or certainly buses, things like that, does it affect school operations. As long as they can cover with substitutes or backups, they're going to stay open. Nobody's closing in in a precautionary way. It's really tied to the logistics of school operations. Gotcha. And I guess maybe to to that point, you know, because you've you, you kind of described then as the evolution of the you know our mindset with respect to you know COVID over the past year and somebody hanging on to a kind of arbitrary number. Well, we will close at this number. But what about some of the other effects of COVID nineteen and those being the restrictions of masks and vaccines and you know, things like that, that were just such a heavy requirement at one time, uh, and now are seemingly going by the wayside. Yeah, so so on vaccines, there's some states that have mandates for staff, but there's, uh, I think the District of Columbia has a fairly hard mandate for stu- so for most of the students, but there's no other place that does that. With masks, we saw in March a dramatic drop in the remaining districts that had mask mandates. You had about half the country with them by then and then and then that half really melted away and we had our last there were there were probably about 10 to there not probably there were 10 to 15 districts in like May and early June that still required masks for students and staff and that number went away and now there is a city right now the top 500 districts in the country none of them require masks for students or staff as of this speaking so that piece has gone away as well that might return in the winter, depending on seasonal rates of COVID. There are districts that do have these thresholds in place where if X percent of the students uh, have come down with COVID, they're not necessarily going to close, but they will they will add masks back in. But we don't anticipate that having, happening in very many places, at least not with the rhythm of, of COVID as it currently exists, because you know once they're gone, it's a little difficult to put them back on in some places. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'm going to pivot back to, to something you mentioned earlier, and, and, and that was with operations and school closures and, and that those things being, you know, revolving around staffing shortages. What, you know, and, and, and we see this in all areas of, you know, education at this point, whether it's transportation or, as you mentioned, with, you know, teachers, administrators, you know, you know uh, support staff. What, you know, what have you seen? Or, or, you know, or what has Burbio seen with respect to strategies, um, you know, that school districts and, and, you know, those who work with school districts are doing to combat the shortage of workers? So, so the backdrop is it, of this is sort of there's, there's two different types of staffing stresses. With transportation, it's, it's, it's one thing, and I'll talk about non-transportation for a moment. You've had actually had, with federal stimulus funding, you've actually had an expansion of things like mental health programs and tutoring and things like that. So in the course of this economy where you have staffing shortages in, in industries of all types, this is an industry that actually is trying to add staff, which makes it a bit unique uh, even compared to others, at least on the teaching st- side. And then, of course, you've got situations like bus drivers and cafeteria workers and things like that, that they're also short on. What they do is they do one of two things. One, you've got bonuses and retention bonuses, which tends to be directed to teachers. And then you've got basically flat out raises and bonuses. 
which certainly teachers are getting raises. They get that as part of their contracts. But we're seeing higher levels of, of, of bonuses and raises on a percentage basis to, frankly, bus drivers and other types of uh, what I'll call support staff, people who are not teaching staff. So the, the, the levers are bonuses, reten- one-time bonuses that are, tend to be retention-oriented and raises, and they're actually higher for the non-teaching staff, although they exist in both places. In some cases, there's also sign-on bonuses. If someone joins an organization, joins a district to do the job, right. you get a bonus right, yeah. upon signing, things like that. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, for sure, for sure. And it is something, you know, we've seen in, in student transportation, especially with the respect to the sign-on bonuses. I'm going to pivot again and, and go back to something you had mentioned earlier uh, in terms of tracking, that student enrollment. And I'm just, you know, just for my own curiosity, I am, you know, concerned that perhaps during the pandemic, we've lost a whole layer of students who may not be coming back to school. I mean, is that possible? Or, you know, are you seeing those kind of things? It is. It, so, so in terms of public school enrollment, you, you saw uh, a drop during the pandemic year, and they're actually still calculating the official numbers. We actually have the state numbers from 46 states, where some states in certain districts are going up and others are going down. And the, the numbers are actually not official for even last year yet. But we absolutely saw districts losing students, and they fall into two different categories. One is parents pull their students uh, out of public schools because of a variety of issues related to everything from COVID mitigation to sort of unrelated. And a lot, of, a lot of it ties to COVID, what happened during COVID. Some of it is things like masks and testing and things like that, but other things, other times uh, there were changes to curriculum and things like that. So these are, those are areas that are making parents in some cases remove their kids from school, move them to private schools, or move to new districts where they're more where it's more in line of what they what they want to have for their children. And then the second issue is some students who just stop showing up to school. And that is certainly a big problem that's been identified at many districts where attendance rates have for certain districts have dropped uh, dramatically. There's sort of different measures that that you use for uh, chronic absenteeism is one of the many is one of several terms that are used, and that went up dramatically. Essentially, the way I would say it is is that you know with, with, when all these lockdowns occurred, and I think everyone has this own experience. Many people had this own experience, even in their own lives. It was like all of a sudden the rules weren't there anymore, the guardrails weren't there, and picture yourself as a 15 year old kid who, or a 10-year-old kid who suddenly is told that they're not going to get graded, or it's not that big a deal if they don't come to school because there's so many kids not coming to school because of COVID or being quarantined. And all of a sudden, you've got this situation where you wake up and the standards have gone away, at least for certain segments of the of the school enrollment population, and in some cases, the parents as well. So we see exhortations from districts to say, directed to the parents. It's like, listen, if your kid is absent more than twice a month, they are chronically absent. This is a big deal. You know, you can't take vacation. That doesn't count. You can't just pull your kid out of school for vacation. They have to come to school. So there was a whole sort of, uh, they're trying to reel that back in districts and it's really widely acknowledged. So that, that second part is, is something that I think districts 
feel like they can immediately control, which is the students who are enrolled in their school, d- schools have to show up more often. And they've identified that those students don't perform as well on tests and things like that. So that's the second part. The first part, which is the shift in enrollment that I was referring to, where just some districts are losing and some districts are gaining. There's a variety of factors that can relate to, you know, people moving from one state to the next, people from moving from one district to the next. And that's a little trickier to, to, to prescribe a specific reason for, other than to say there are certain districts that have been losing three and five percent of their enrollment now during during COVID. Many of these districts were losing a bit of enrollment even before COVID. And those districts are facing severe issues in the short term, particularly relates to funding, because enrollment is what determines funding levels right. for many of these districts. Does that make sense? Right. No, it absolutely does. And, and I was kind of kind of follow up on that and, and say, you know, I don't think it's any secret that, you know, we're up in the Northeast and we've seen out migration to, to the Sun Belt primarily, I would say. And that has to affect from what you're seeing enrollment and enrollment affects, you know, funding. So it is that ripple effect. But are you seeing tangible effects of the out migration in in the numbers you're seeing? Well, you know, New York State's enrollment has dropped. California's enrollment has dropped. You've got states, Illinois' enrollment has dropped. So you've got states that appear to be losing population that are also losing enrollment. And we have a uh, map on our website of the last year's enrollment. So you've got big drops in Illinois and California and Oregon, New York, that are that you would think would be related to that. But then you have other states where enrollment is dropping. It dropped in Oklahoma, dropped in Louisiana. It dropped a bit in Wisconsin. So it, it can often be a little bit trickier. You can't really tell how much of it is because of out-migration and how much of it is because uh, students are leaving public schools and that's, or demographics too. You've got certain states where you just have less young kids. Although I don't think demographics are the primary issue right now. I think it's primarily this issue of switching schools as well as out migration. The reason why I say that demographics aren't the primary issue is what you've seen a lot of, particularly in districts that are losing enrollment is they're expanding their pre-K and K programs. And so they're actually picking up enrollment from that. Again, I'm generalizing a bit, which can be a bit uh, bit dangerous because right, every right. situation is yep. different. But we've seen expansion of pre-K, K, and K-1. In other words, there's been a lot of these districts. I think in New Jersey, Newark actually increased their enrollment, which was almost exclusively due to their younger kids. Let's just give an example. So, so, so I don't think it's the demographic. I think in the demographics in the last year, they've been picking up a lot of kids who were never sent to school because of COVID, parents wanted to keep them out. So on the lower end, so, so I don't think it's purely a demographic thing. I think it's out migration as well as uh, students switching to private schools. Yeah, or, or, home, or homeschool, or homeschooling, to be clear, homeschooling right. as well. Right, true, true. And, and, and that was um, as a result of, I think, a lot of parents seeing and not being comfortable with what was going on with Zoom calls, that all of a sudden they were kind of part of the classroom environment um, because, yeah. of, because of COVID. Yeah. And that's, that's a, that, that is an area. And I think what you're going to see is you're going to see increased activity at the local district level around school board elections. And I think that's going to be with us for the long, for a long time now. I think uh, school boards in uh, across all districts are going to be much more intensely contested. I don't subscribe to the cartoonish description of it as being an extreme one side or the other. You talk about, we live in the New York area and our suburban town had 
very highly contested school board elections in each of the last two years. And they were very thoughtful and they were, but they were very contested and they were, no one was being crazy on either side of the equation, but there was a lot of, 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 of debate, mostly on a couple of areas as it relates to achievement and things like that in our town, which is a high performing academic district. But you're going to see variations of that across the country around. Uh, and I think that's one of the things that's come out of COVID across, not just education, across just about everything. You're not just going to take people's word for it anymore. You're going to ask questions. As, as, a, as a citizen. And so you'll see that in schools. And I think actually that's going to be healthy for districts. I think it'll be at the end of the day. That's so I, my general philosophy on that is that the more participation, the better. And you're going to get, uh, it's going to be a form of, it's going to ultimately improve and make the districts more attractive and retain parents uh, and their kids in the system is, is kind of my observation. But it's absolutely it seems to be a thing. It's not something that we measure per se. We see a bit of it because of the auditing and researching we do. It's not something we try and put numbers on. Right, right. Yeah, it's kind of a byproduct of, of what you do overall, yeah, yeah. for sure. Well, Dennis, a lot of great information, and I, I find you know this subject matter fascinating just to see. I and mean, we're not going to know how the dust settles from the pandemic for a couple years, so. I think this is going to be continued conversation as we move forward. If folks want to find out more about Burbio, uh, where can they get that information? You know, if you go to, if you type in Burbio School Budget Tracker, that's probably the best place to go, or Burbio School Tracker into, into Google, you will land at one of our pages. You can sign up. We have a weekly newsletter uh, that's it gets opens and it gets, we do pretty, people seem to like it. It's not a sales pitch. It's like, these are the types of things we're seeing out there. And so we, we come out with that on Sunday. So I'd highly recommend people sign up. If, if you want to, you can certainly email me at Dennis at Burbio.com. Uh, and I can put you on the list as well, or you could just type in Burbio school tracker or Burbio budget tracker and get to the page that does that. Great. Once again, our guest at NSTA, the bus stop, Dennis Roche, he's co-founder of Burbio, that's B-U-R-B-I-O, and they're a data tracking service. So Dennis, thanks so much for joining us at the bus stop. Thanks a lot. Have a great fall.